Now we have seen a lot of that line. Now these are the generations of. I've been trying to point it out whenever we come across it in the book of Genesis, but we just came to the last two in the book of Genesis, chapter 36 and 37. 36, these are the generations of Esau. Now, and then it lists a whole bunch of names after that. It's a long chapter, but still it's just one chapter because we know as readers that the line of Esau is a dead end. But then we come back, chapter 37, verse two. Now, these are the generations of Jacob. And it's gonna take 14 chapters for us just to start to grasp the significance of the offspring of Jacob. But notice, verse two, now these are the generations of Jacob and you're not gonna get a long list of names. Instead, you're gonna get one name, one offspring of Jacob that the author wants us to think about. And his name is Joseph and he's 17 years old when we come into this text. Now, what do we know about Joseph so far? Not much, but if you've been paying attention, you might know who his mom was. Because remember, Jacob had lots of women. Which one is the mother of Joseph? Do you remember? Joseph is the son of Rachel, the wife that Jacob loved the wife that Jacob has lost by this point. Because remember, Rachel died in giving birth to Joseph's brother, Benjamin. Okay, now, verse two and three, we find out that Joseph, who's like a shepherd pasturing out in the, uh, the, pasturing the flocks with his brothers, comes back and gives a bad report about his brothers to Jacob. Now look at verse three. Now Israel, remember that's Jacob's new name, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And so Joseph, uh, Jacob made Joseph a robe of many colors, like a, a special robe to show his significance. So think of that, Jacob who loved Rachel more than the other women, loves Rachel's offspring, Joseph, more than the other offspring. Kind of like how Isaac loved Esau seemingly more than Jacob, and Rebekah loved Jacob seemingly more than Esau. And by the way, not everything in the Bible are we supposed to imitate, right? We've come across a whole bunch of stuff already where we're not clearly not supposed to be following this. And here's Jacob, who has a special favoritism for Joseph. And he wants to show it to everybody through the coat that he gives to Joseph. Now, how do the brothers respond? How do they feel about their tattletale younger brother, who is clearly loved above all of them by dad? You can imagine. Verse four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him. That's like how Esau felt about Jacob. They, they hated Joseph so much that they couldn't even talk peacefully to him. They hated him so much. Well, then what happens? Verse five, 
things are about to get worse. Because <laughs> Joseph had a dream. And when he told the dream to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, I doubt that's ever happened to you, where you have a dream and you tell it to, to your family and they hate you for what you were dreaming. That's because we have to remember at this time, God seems to be speaking, revealing himself to his people, sometimes through dreams. And so when Joseph tells this dream, it's not just, oh, I had a strange dream last night about pizza right there there's something more going on and and well then we want to know well what did he dream because apparently they hate him even more now after hearing it well joseph tells a story about what he dreamed about. he says well guys i was dreaming what do you think about this so so we all had kind of like sheaves uh out in the field and my sheaf kind of stood up tall and all of your sheaves kind of like bowed down to my sheaf what do you guys think about that and the brothers are like, are you really going to reign over us? And they hate him even more. Because what's Joseph dreaming about? He's dreaming about having dominion. And they hate him for it. But he doesn't quite get the picture. Or he just thinks he ought to tell them these dreams because it's God's revelation. He, you know, it's hard to tell. But he has another dream and he decides to tell them that dream too. Look at verse 9. He dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers. And this one is not just about the brothers. He says, hey guys, mom, dad, <laughs> you know, uh, talks with his dad, maybe the other women. He says, so I was having this other dream. And there was the sun and there was the moon and then there were 11 stars that I could count out there. And you can start like filling in the gaps in your mind. You don't have to be like a, a extra special interpreter here to kind of figure that out. I think maybe the son would be like dad. <laughs> you know, the, ma, uh, the mom, moms in the family might be like the moon. And the 11 brothers, that would probably be uh, the 11 stars, right, in the dream. And Joseph says, hey, so, so what do you think about this? In the dream, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars all started bowing down to me. What do you think about that? Uh, and they hate him even more because of the dreams. Now, next story. The brothers are out keeping uh, track of their you know, flocks and pasturing them and everything. And, and Jacob, Israel says to his son Joseph, hey, I want you to go down. I want you to check on your brothers. So he's on the way. The brothers who hate him see him coming from a distance. They get together in a huddle and what do they do? They, they conspire against their own brother to kill him. As he's coming, Reuben, the firstborn, talks with the brothers and says, Look guys, I, I don't think we should kill him. Uh, let's just throw him in a pit. Uh, Reuben's thinking in his own mind, at least I'll be able to come and I'll rescue Joseph and I'll, I'll take him back. You know, I'll restore him to dad. I don't know why Reuben's thinking that, but that's what, he, but that's what he's thinking. He, does, he thinks we should not kill him. He convinces the brothers apparently that way. So they take Joseph and they, and they tear off the, the robe from him and they throw him in a pit, an empty pit. And they sit down and they start eating while their brother, Joseph, is, is in a pit. 
Well, apparently Reuben's not around at this time while they're having this meal or whatever. And, and then they get to thinking. They see a caravan of Ishmaelites coming by and Judah gets this great idea in his mind. Hey, brothers, why should we kill him? He is our brother after all. I mean, we really want to bring his blood on us. Look at these traitors. We could just, we could sell them. How about we just sell them and we'll make some money and we don't have to worry about it then. And they think it's a great plan. So they sell Joseph, their brother, their own brother, they sell him to become a slave, to go who knows where. They don't care. It is not here. Well, Reuben comes back wherever he was, comes back, looks in the pit. Joseph's not there. Terrace is closed. Guys, what have you done? Where is he? Finds out what happened. And then they've got to do the con, right? They take Joseph's coat. They kill a goat. They dip his robe. They tear his robe, dip it in blood, send it home to dad. Hey, dad, do you recognize? Do you recognize this? Is this, is this the coat that belonged to your son? Jacob sees the coat, says, uh, my son is dead. Wild animals must have gotten him. And Jacob says at the end of chapter 37, I'm going to go to my grave mourning over my son. And he weeps. And the brothers, his sons, see what this has done to their dad. And they say nothing. These are the generations of Jacob. That's the beginning. And it's not going to get any prettier in the next chapter. You come into chapter 38 and the heading of my Bible says Judah and Tamar. Not going to read a lot of the text in it. When you read it, you'll be like, what in the world is that all about? If you've ever read it, that's probably what you think. This is another like Melchizedekian moment in the story. Comes out of nowhere and you're like, I have no clue what I just read or why I read that. Because what happens? Judah, who's the fourth son, right? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, the fourth son. He's the one who just got the plan together, the great plan to, to make some money at least off of Joseph. Now we're told a story about him, about something that happens during this. Judah, he gets married to a Canaanite woman, which clearly from the story so far, that's not a good idea. Judah is not a great guy. And we're, gonna, we're just about to find out how much not a great guy he is. Because he has, he has a son, another son, he has three sons. His sons grow up. His first son gets married to a lady named Tamar. His first son, though, I think his name is Ur. Ur is wicked. And so he, he dies. And so then Judah goes to the second son and says, you need his second son, Onan. Onan, you need to, to take Tamar as your wife to produce offspring for your brother. This was customary. This is something that God seems to even want uh, people to do. But Onan is also wicked and he won't fulfill his role. And so God kills him. And Tamar eventually sees that Judah doesn't want to give his last son, his third son, to her. And so she has a plan because she knows there's supposed to be offspring. 
And, and this is what's supposed to happen. And Judah's refusing to give me the other son. And so what does Tamar do? Well, she knows what kind of guy her father-in-law is. So she dresses up like a prostitute. Judah comes by. He sees her, thinks she's a prostitute. So he sleeps with her. Next thing you know, Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant. Judah knows she's not married. What an immoral woman. How could she do such an outrageous thing, he thinks. And so he wants to kill her. But the thing is, when she did this with Judah, you know what she did? She had taken a couple of things from the man she slept with as like a pledge from him that he would pay her. And she, had, she says, hey, yeah, I'm pregnant. But I, I'm pregnant from a man to whom these things belong. Whose staff and whose, thing, whose things are these? And Judas sees those things and he realizes what she did. What he did. And he says, she has been more righteous in this than I have. And she doesn't need to die, of course. And Judah never sleeps with her again. But she is pregnant with Judah's offspring and she has twins named uh, what are, what's their names down in chapter 38 uh, Perez and Zerah and now you have Judah having twins through his daughter-in-law and that's the end of chapter 38 and again this is the introduction to the generations of Jacob and it's not pretty but I want to come back to this bigger question of chapter 38. Like, why did we need to read that? Because chapter 37 was all about Joseph and what has just happened to him, which has been horrible. And I come to chapter 39, and the very first thing I see is this story picks right up again with Joseph. So why did I need to read a chapter that makes me want to take a shower? afterwards because I feel so gross from even reading it or talking about it in Genesis 38. What's the deal with that Melchizedekian moment? And I would just say on this one, you're not going to have to wait nearly as long to figure it out as you will to figure out the Melchizedek story in Genesis 14. You'll just have to keep reading to find out the significance of the Judah and Tamar story. But that'll be for a future study. Mm -hmm.